Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friends? Welcome to 2019. Today is New Year's Day. If you're listening to this on the day that it comes out, which by the way, if you're not, you need to subscribe to this, all right? You need to subscribe so you don't miss out on a single episode. Make sure you do that and whatever app that you are listening to this podcast, just go swipe wherever you need to swipe. Hit that subscribe button. Also, if you haven't already, be sure and uh, leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you and uh, know how we can best help you, how we can best support you and serve you. On a related note, we actually just started a few weeks ago, a brand new YouTube channel where we were doing some different training videos, doing some different video breakdowns of taking some popular TED Talks and other speeches and, and talks and breaking them down, showing you why they work, what doesn't work, how they can be improved, and how you can apply those principles and ideas to your next presentation. So we'd love for you to check that out. They're really, really cool. They've been very popular so far. So stop by and check out uh, that. But you can go to youtube.com slash the speaker lab. Again, that's youtube.com slash the speaker lab. Check that out. Subscribe to that channel. Leave us a comment or, or uh, like the video, just all the things that you're supposed to do there. Make sure you go by and check that out. All right. So today we are talking with my buddy, Tim Grawl. Tim is a, um, a book marketing expert. The guy's been in the book marketing space for a long time. We, we talk a little bit about what it takes to make a book successful. And then we also talk about Tim's latest book. His book's called Running Down a Dream. And so we're going to be talking about how do you overcome doubts and insecurities and fears about running down that dream. I know for a lot of you, maybe you're dealing with some of that as it relates to being a speaker. You're wondering, uh, maybe you have some of that imposter syndrome going like, who am I to be on stage? Why should I be a speaker? So we're going to talk that through. And, and Tim has some great thoughts to share on that. I'm also going to talk about how to find time to build a speaking business when you, you think you're too busy or you think that you don't have the time. So Tim shares some great insights. So I think you're going to get a lot from this. This is a great episode to kick off 2019. I will give you a fair warning if you're listening without headphones and there's a few potty words in here. So buckle up for that. All right, let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Tim Grawl. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here today, joined by my buddy Tim Grawl, who is one of the smartest, prettiest people that I know, and uh, excited to uh, to hang out with him and talk. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit of book stuff, and we'll talk a little bit of life stuff. You good with that? That sounds good. No pressure. That's right. We're going to cover everything today. <laughs> all Solve all the world the things. Let's start with this. Give us a quick snapshot on who you are and kind of what it is that you do. You do a little bit of speaking, but you also do some stuff in the uh, the book marketing space. So give us the overview of uh, all things Tim Grawl. Yeah, for 10 years, I've been a book marketing consultant, and then I also teach authors in online programs and other ways to do book marketing. I'm also the host of the StoryGrid podcast with Sean Coyne, who's been an editor for over 25 years, where he's teaching me how to tell better stories. 
And then uh, I just came out with a book a few months ago called Running Down a Dream. That's about overcoming creative resistance and creative battles. Interesting. I want to talk about that side of things uh, in a bit. But before we get there, I've been in the book marketing space for 10 years. What does that look like? What do you mean? What does that look like? like? What do you do? Like, what do you like? What do you mean you're in the book marketing space? I, I assume that that could take a lot of different forms. Yeah, I got started. I was just a freelance web developer, and would kind of do you know build anything and help people with anything that they would give me money for. Yeah, and then I started working with authors, and I really enjoyed the marketing side of things. So I'd gone to school to learn uh, computer programming and got into web development, but then really liked the marketing side. And 10 years ago, it was a pretty rare skill set to understand both online marketing and web development. Right. Uh, usually you had to get some consulting and then go find a developer to build it for you. And so then I just started working with authors and really enjoyed the work. And I really got into figuring out how to build a following around one person that then they could launch books and other things from. And so I'm not a publicist. I'm not going out and trying to get people on the Today Show. My thing is about helping authors connect directly with their readers so that they have a platform that they can consistently launch successful books from. And so you've worked with a wide variety of authors. Um, can you? Are you allowed to name drop anybody? I've heard you name oh, drop yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've worked with like Daniel Pink, Chip and Dan Heath, Barbara Corcoran from the Shark Tank. I've worked with Hugh McLeod from Gaping Void, Gaping Void fame. Let's see, who else have I worked with? Charles Duhigg. Consulted on a lot of different ones. I've worked with fiction authors like Hugh Howie of Wool, kind of all across the board. So I've worked probably the majority is on kind of the business self-help side would probably make up about half my work. But then the other half is all over the place. I've worked on memoirs and self-published fiction, uh, traditionally published fiction, and uh, kind of everything that you can imagine I've had my hands in. I've worked with hundreds of different authors one-on-one, -on -one, so yeah. it's been a lot. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I want to go down that trail just for a second. So whenever it comes to book marketing, if someone's listening going like, okay, I've got a book and I would love to sell more, and I know that there's a ton of different things that they could do, what are some things that they should be thinking about or what are some things that are, are going to move the needle more so than others? The biggest thing is thinking about having that direct connection to your own audience and having it in a way, you know, I, I think of it as I need a way where I can get people's attention and drive action. And still, the best way to do that is building an email list. I keep waiting for something else to come along that works as well as email, but email continues to, they just actually just blogged a couple months ago. Um, I was looking at some studies they've done and email continues to be like the best way to connect with people online. So the first thing an author should be doing or somebody should be doing is building their email list. The second thing is connecting with other people in their space networking, connecting with other people that have written similar books, uh, connecting with people that maybe just work in their space, but have an audience, other bloggers and podcasters and that sort of thing, just because that opens up more opportunities to be introduced to new audience, just like you and I have gotten to know each other. And now I'm on your podcast. And so I'm getting introduced to your audience, you know, so it's that kind of stuff. You know, there's a lot of little things that goes goes into it, but most of the time people get distracted by, okay, 
you know, I got I to gotta post on Twitter and I got to post on Instagram and then I got to make sure my blog is good. And really what they're doing is avoiding the hard work of actually going out, meeting people and getting your name out there because doing all, there's, you know, a thousand different things you can do, but most of them are a waste of time. So unless they're not directly introducing you to new audiences and then getting an opportunity to connect with them, it's probably not worth your time. You mentioned social media. I know, uh, just knowing you, I know that you hate social media in general. What else are mm. other activities that authors do that they think they're doing something, but they're really spinning the wheels and not making any progress and it's just a waste of time? So if, say, you start a blog and you start posting on the blog every week, a lot of times I'll talk to somebody that's done that. They're like, oh, I blogged for six months. It doesn't work. And I'm like, what do you mean by work? Well, nobody read it. Right. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're just putting stuff on your website, There's but you're not going out and introducing yourself to new groups of people. Right. So, you know, stuff that doesn't have kind of a natural flow where I'm just doing stuff, but I don't actually have a plan of how it's all going to work together. Right. So you have to have a way to introduce yourself to new people. You have to, you know, give away content so that they can connect with the content. And then after they've connected with the content, getting them on an email list so that you can stay in contact with them long term. So a lot of people will spend a lot of time putting stuff on their website or they'll spend a lot of time putting stuff out on social media. They'll spend a lot of time even like tweaking their website, you know, like mm -hmm. constantly changing like the color of the button on their email sign up, thinking that will make a difference. Right, right. And so I think, you know, most of the time what I found for myself and working with so many authors is it's mostly you're doing a bunch of stuff to make yourself feel like you're doing work, but you're not actually doing work. You're doing stuff to avoid the hard work. So that's the thing is like there's always little things you can be doing different. But my thing is track everything. And if it's not actually moving you towards your goal, you need to try something else. Right, right. And it sounds like a lot of what those two big things that you mentioned in terms of building your email list and just building your network are things that oftentimes you need to be doing before you need them. So it's not, it's, when you have a book, it's not like if you write the book, they will come. And all of a sudden there's an audience that magically appears. It sounds like you really need to be focusing on the audience, maybe more so than before you need them or, or uh, before you have the book. Would that be fair? Well, I mean, it depends. So a lot of, you know, you can tell people that, but most people are not going to think about building the platform until the book's written. The, and it, I, I get the phone calls of like two months before their book comes out, they finally realize, oh shit, I have no plan to sell this thing. Yeah. And so, but at the same time, being an author opens doors that are often hard to open on your own. Just adding the words author of to your bio changes all kinds of things like people automatically assume you're an expert people automatically even in the days you know nowadays anybody can self-publish but the vast majority of people don't really understand that and don't care as they shouldn't you know uh, and so just you having a book out can be the thing that builds your platform so a lot of times when authors they're self maybe self-publishing their first book and it's you know they could publish it you know in the next month like, well, I don't have a platform. Should I come out with it? Yeah. I'm like, yes, come out with it. Then use the book to build the platform. Because when you reach out to podcasts or you connect with people at a conference, you can say, oh, I'm the author of this book. And all of a sudden, 
just your status rises. Like I saw this in myself. Like I had done launches of book. I'd put multiple books on the New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestseller list, books at number one on the bestseller list, all of that kind of stuff. But it wasn't until I had a book that people assumed I was the expert. And what would happen is people would get the book and they wouldn't even read it. They would just want to hire me because I, I wrote the book on it. Yeah. And so, you know, I found, you know, the best thing I did to build my own platform is come out with a book and start using the book to get speaking opportunities, to get podcasts that wouldn't return my calls or return my emails before, you know, all of a sudden, since I wrote a book, they were interested in having me on. Yeah. So, and even now, like, having the book, having a new book reinvigorates that, right? So I'm coming on your podcast. Jeff Goins had me on his podcast. Like Mike Vardy had me on his pod. Like all these people that I'm friends with, like having a book re-triggers those things. So even now I'm using the book to continue to, to build my platform. Yeah. So I don't think you necessarily have to wait. I think go ahead and come out with the book and then that gives you an opportunity to, to use the book to grow your platform. Got it. That makes sense. So, so for someone that already has a book out, then it's not necessarily like all hope is lost and you're too late and you missed the boat. But at one thing, it seems like, and this isn't true with just books. I see this with, you know, courses and various products of people who come out with something, they really put a lot of eggs in the basket of the launch and then it's done and they move on to the next thing. So it sounds like, you know, that part of what you're trying to do when you have a book is not just worry about that first week or the first month, although those things are important, but really what are you doing to continue to promote it and market it way beyond that period of time for the next, you know, several months or years even. Yeah. I mean, it all comes down to what your goal with a book is, right? So if you get traditionally published with a publishing house, they're going to basically look at that first week sales to decide whether or not the book is a success. And if it doesn't sell, they'll kind of move on. And I've seen this where like a book comes out, it doesn't do very well. And the publisher like just forgets about the author. And the author like has to email three times to get a response and all of a sudden they can't. And then like something happens six, eight months later, a year later, and the book starts picking up steam yeah. and all of a sudden the publisher's interested in helping them again. Right. right. And so, but for a typical, but when I think about the fact that, you know, my book came out, the first week is just a fraction of the opportunity for that book. Books are interesting in a way that they tend to build up. If you keep promoting them, it builds up steam over time and it starts selling and selling and selling and they tend to sell more the longer that they keep selling, if that makes sense. So like The War of Art by Steve Pressfield continues to sell more every year than the year before. How does that work? Um, like, why is that? Well, that's because it gets out in the world, right? So if we... so. The, the latest Avengers movie, right? It's already kind of old. It's been out like six months. We're all looking forward to the next one. I was super angry about the end of the last one. You know, all this kind of stuff. But it's like movies don't have that kind of, even though like you and I maybe love a movie from the 80s that we grew up with, it's like super dated. I tried to show Never Ending Story to my kids. They did not get it. Where books have this thing that just, they keep going. Yeah. And the reason is, is they're a, a lot more timeless and they tend to just be more easily spread. And the number is 10,000. Your goal as the author should be to sell 10,000 copies of your book. And the basic idea is what 
that's like when they launch a rocket, there's like all this push to get it out of the atmosphere. And then once it's in orbit, it takes no extra push. It just keeps orbiting. Right. And that's kind of how a book launches. And it doesn't have to happen in the first day or week or even month. But if you can get that book into enough people's hands, then it kind of takes on a life of its own and it starts getting promoted. So a friend of mine came out with a book. It's now sold a million and a half copies. Yeah. And when they first came out, they had a big platform. They launched it. They sold 40,000 copies. That was really good. But by about six months in, it was barely selling. And they were still out like pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. And about a year in, they started seeing it go back up. And now every year, it sells more years, more books than the year before. It just takes a little time to get the book out into the system. And so, I mean, you look at like a book like Personal MBA by Josh Kaufman, never hit any of the major bestseller lists. It's never been like on any of the lists that in traditional publishing show it as successful. And yet it still sells and sells and sells. And it's been out for 10 years. And so you think about books like The 4-Hour Workweek that continue to sell and sell and sell and sell and sell. So... I look at it as like your job is to come out with the book, have a big launch as big as you can. But then, you know, I look at you've got two years, promote it for two years and give the book a chance. What happens is, is when people launch the book and then they stop, it's like a rocket that stops pushing halfway up and it just crashes back to earth. You never actually gave it a chance to get out into the world. And so, so yeah, I think it's like a long-term play. Uh, It's continuing to push the book, get it into new hands, get into audiences' hands. And then over time, you'll see it start to turn around. How do you not get discouraged with that? Because two years, 10,000 books, that's just a lot, you know? And so for for a lot of people, that may just feel like you may as well said a billion years and a billion (laughs) copies of the book. It just, I mean, it just feels like an enormous task, you know? So as you're building towards that one book at a time, how do you not get discouraged and not want to throw in the towel and question if it's worth it? I just kind of think of it as like, I don't worry about the outcome. I heard a pastor say one time, our job is to put in the effort. What is it? We have to separate effort from earning, right? So we put in the effort. The earning is not up to us. In the in the Indian scripture, uh, the Bhagavad Gita, I always say it wrong. There's like this idea that you are, you have a right to your work, but not the spoils of your work, right? Mm-hmm. So it's this separation of, I'm going to do my work, but yet I'm not going to do it only for the outcome of the work. I have to be able to find a way to do the work for the work itself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when with my book, Running Down a Dream, that's how I felt like is like I'm coming out with the book and this is I just know I'm signing on for two years of promoting the book. And so I don't look too closely at the numbers. I keep an eye on them to see like if I do this promotion, you know, how many books did it sell and that kind of thing. But it's mostly me just continuing to do the work day in and day out, knowing that that's what I signed up for. That's just the job. So I don't really worry too much. And the other thing is, is I have a job that makes me money that is not selling this book. So I look at this as my job is to just continue to get the book out into the world, to get the message out into the world and trust that that will be enough. And I just, I love the books that I write. And so I think of it as like, 
I put all this work in, you know, this book took me two years to write. I put all this work into this book. Like I want to give it a chance, you know, and that's what makes me so sad when I see authors that put all this work into their books, they come out with it and then they immediately give up. And I'm just like, why did you do all of that work without like thinking, okay, now I'm going to actually get it out into the world. Yeah. So I just see it as it's the job. Like it's just my job is to continue to promote the book. I kind of just put it's uh, I almost think of it like um have you ever swam in open water? Uh yes, it's yes. I've done a okay. couple triathlons. It's a little intense. Okay, so like you know you're swimming and you put your face in the water, you kind of aim in a direction and you mm-hmm. put your face in the water and you're swimming 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 and then after a while you kind of pop your head up yeah. and you're like Oh, I need to like move just a little bit to oh, my crap. right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's like okay, and then I put your you put your face down and yep. keep going. That's kind of how I think about it. Is like I just I came out with the book. I have a plan for promoting it for the first six months. My face is in the water. I'm promoting it for six months. After that, I'm going to stop, reevaluate, figure out what I should do the next six months. Put my face back in the water and keep promoting it. Yeah. And. And just see it as, and I've, and and also I have the value of experience. If I've just seen it work so many times, yeah. where an author just churns on it, churns on it, churns on it, and then things start turning around. You just have to get the book in enough people's hands, have them read it, that they can tell other people about it. And if you think about, like, I'm reading a book right now that I bought five or six months ago, right? So I bought it because somebody recommended it and then I put it in on the, my nightstand. And then a couple of weeks ago I finished another book and I thought, Oh, I should pick this up and read it. And now I'm like a third of the way into it. And I've told like three people to buy a copy. Yeah. So that took from the time, the first person that told me to buy the book, they read it. Then a few months later they told me to buy a copy. So I bought a copy, right. then it sits underneath and now I've sold three more copies. So those five copies took almost a year to sell. Right. Right. But that's just how it works. But that's also what's great about books that like it's true. Like if a movie comes out and it does not have a good opening weekend, the odds of it doing well at all are really low. It has to like become a cult classic or find some kind of underground movement where books, they are more likely to do that. They don't have to have a huge launch to have a good a good life long term. So what would you say to though to the, you know, the, the, the listener, the author who is going on the I always think of like the artist to the entrepreneur scale on both ends of the spectrum, right? And we have friends who like one end or naturally gravitate toward one end more so than the other. So the person that's listening going like, dude, I just want to write books. You know, I'm not worried about selling. I don't, I'm not worried about the, I don't want to deal with two years of promotion. There's no way I could sell 10,000 copies. I don't want to go, you know, schlepping my book all over the place. And and yeah, I just want to, I'm an artist, dude. I just want to write books. What Like, what do you say to that person? Well, you know, I, I heard Seth Godin talk about this. I was putting on a workshop and Seth Godin came and spoke at it. And he talked about as a writer, the game is how long can you write without making money off of it? Right. So like, how long can you go without making any money off your writing? And you want that to be as long as possible. And so what I think of is like, and this is, you know, I read an article, this was years ago now, I've I'd have to go try to find it. But it was basically this rant about how writing is not a job. And if you assume that you're going to get paid for it, 
that's a problem. And it was in response to this, this author who was complaining that she only makes $30,000 a year off of her books. And, and that really changed my perspective of like, okay, writing is not a job. Now, if it works out that I somehow get paid for it, which I have, that's great. But I can't go into it assuming that. Yeah. So if you're much more on the artist side, then I say get a job that will pay you so that you can write. Yeah. You know, then get up in the morning and write, stay up late and write, just like most people do, and then keep putting books out. And if eventually you get to a point where you're making money off those books and you can quit that job, that's great. But don't write for the money. You know, then on the entrepreneur side, there are people like there are very strategic ways to come out with a book so that it will make you more money. Now, not necessarily off the book itself, but it can fit into a bigger, bigger ecosystem of speaking, of courses, of other ways of making money that can help everything. And so then you use it more of a marketing tool. But I don't think that I just feel like if you want to write just for the love and act of writing, putting the pressure on it to pay all your bills will destroy it quicker than just about anything. So I say, you know, do the writing, that's fine, but leave it as something that doesn't have to pay the bills so that you can continue to enjoy it. That makes a lot of sense. I want to shift gears and talk about the, the book for a second, Running Down a Dream. So first of all, kind of give us a uh, an overview of, uh, of the book for someone that, that's not familiar with it. Yeah. So this is a big departure for me. My first two books were very how-to book marketing books, and uh, they were kind of what I called guru on the hill books, right? So I'm this smart guy that knows all this stuff, and I wrote it in a book so that you can learn it. And that's kind of what I wanted to write with this book. So I I've been doing a lot of work with Sean Coyne and Steve Pressfield, who own Black Irish Publishing. Uh, Steve Pressfield is the author of The War of Art, Turning Pro, many other amazing books. And so I decided, I, you know, I read The War of Art every year, and I reread it again a few years ago, and I thought, okay, I want to write like the how-to guide for The War of Art, because I've come up with all these really cool ways of overcoming creative resistance to get my work done, overcome procrastination, all this kind of stuff. And... I wrote an entire draft of that book and I showed it to our, our mutual friend, Jeff. And he said, this is a great collection of blog posts, but this is not a book. And then I, I thought, well, Jeff's crazy. <laughs> right. Well, so I showed it to my editor, Sean, and Sean agreed with Jeff. I was hoping I'd get a different answer. He agreed with Jeff and added, this is a book that somebody will read half of, put on their bookshelf and immediately forget they ever read. Hmm. And I'm like, okay. Awesome. So I started like churning through all these drafts and figuring out what I was trying to say. And I'd put the book in the drawer for, you know, a couple months and pull it back out and work on it. What I realized, what I eventually realized was this couldn't be a guru on the hill book. It became a tour of my ruins. So I had, I couldn't just say, Hey, I have this great tool for you. I had to go back and show you where this tool came from. So I go back 10, 12 years to when I quit my job, but not when I quit my job. I actually started out six months after I quit my job when I completely ran out of money, couldn't pay my mortgage, couldn't buy food for my family. You know, I had a six month old at that point and had to call my parents and ask them for money so I could pay my bills. And then I just walk you through 
what it means to run down a dream and what it looks like, how, you know, all the obstacles along the way and all the hardships and how to overcome those obstacles along the way as well. But it became a very, you know, personal journey that I think is everybody's journey, which has been really interesting because it's a really just, it's my story. But so many people that are writing me about the book are just saying, you know, man, did you like talk to my wife and find out what happened? Because like that story is my story. So I really wanted it to be something where people could read it and understand that the fact that it's hard, the fact that it's scary, the fact that they feel like a failure more than they feel successful is completely normal. And that means they're on the right path, not the wrong path. Right. So what would you like, what would you say then to that person who is where you were 10, 12 years ago and they are going, I'm interested in speaking. I want to do speaking, speaking is something that I'm passionate about. I've done it a few times. I love doing it, want to do more of it, but I just feel like maybe I've tried before and I failed or I'm worried about like, I, I can't, you know, I can't quit my job on Friday and all of a sudden on Monday decide to be a speaker. And so I want to run down said dream, but there's all these other barriers and obstacles and excuses and reasons of why I shouldn't and should just maintain the status quo. Like, what would you say to that speaker? I think the biggest thing is if you can maintain the status quo, you probably should. Because if that is a life that you can actually handle, then you should probably hang on to it. Because going after something bigger is much scarier and much harder than you ever think. When I talk to people that are just starting out, I'm kind of like, oof, man. If they only knew what was coming, you know, because what I've realized is nobody gets away with it. You know, like I've seen people who like were, you know, quote, unquote, quote, unquote, overnight successes, like the first thing they ever tried worked. And then I actually see behind the scenes of what's going on. And it's just as hard as everybody else's. So I think the biggest thing is just deciding that you're going to do this no matter what it takes. Uh, And you're going to continue to follow it and go after it no matter what it takes. Because then it's amazing what you can figure out when you really decide it's worth it. So one of my favorite scenes in a movie that I talk about all the time is in Fight Club. When Tyler Durden drags the narrator into this convenience store and the guy working in the convenience store, they drag him out behind and put a gun to his head. And they say basically, you know, what did you want to be? And the guy's like crying and screaming and like, you know, he, he thinks he's going to die because he keeps telling him he's going to shoot him. And the guy's like, I wanted to be a veterinarian. I wanted to be a veterinarian. He's like, then why are you working in this convenience store? And he's, you know, and he keeps making all these excuses. And Tyler Dern says, takes his wallet and says, I'm going to keep an eye on you. And in six months, if you're not on your way to becoming a veterinarian, you're going to die. I'm going to kill you. And so the guy takes off running and Tyler Duren's like, I just set him free to actually go after the thing that he wants. And, you know, I was in a meeting, I was in teaching in this little workshop a few months ago and this lady's like, well, I don't know if I should do this or I should do this. I was like, make a decision, just this or this. It doesn't really matter. You're going to be like, I pulled a gun out and I don't know. But I said, I was like, just make a decision. She's like, I can't, I don't know. I don't know. I was like, if I put you on your knees and put a gun to your head, and said, make a decision. Would you be able to make a decision? She's like, yeah. I was like, then which one? She's like, that one. I'm like, there you go. Go do that one. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is like, I think that one of the things to understand is that most of the things we're afraid of 
will never happen. And when you actually look them in the eye, they're not that big a deal. They're like in those cartoons where that big, scary shadow is coming down the hall and then it's like a cat. You know, it's like a kitten that comes around the corner. 99.9% of fears are that thing. We're afraid that we're going to fail, which, okay, our life is the same as it was. We're afraid people are going to think we're stupid. They probably already do. Like, you know, like all these things that we're afraid of, they're not even real. And I kind of walk you through in the book how to work through those. I have really specific ways to do those. But it's amazing, like all these things we're afraid of, those are not the things that come along. Like those aren't the things that hold us back. And a lot of it too is how we're spending our time. If you tell me I want to be a speaker, I really want to go after this. And then I followed you around for two weeks and just watched how you spent your time. Would I be able to tell somebody, yeah, that person wants to be a speaker. That person wants to build a business. Or would I say they really like Instagram. They play a lot of angry birds and they really know how to binge on Netflix. Right. Like that's what happened. It's the same thing for me. Like, you know, there were times in my life where I would tell people, I want to do this. I want to grow a business. But if you followed me around and watched me all day, you'd be like, that guy doesn't want to do anything with his life, you know? And so I think it's also really learning to tell yourself the truth and be brutally honest about what are you willing to sacrifice for these things? Are you willing to sacrifice playing golf? Are you willing to sacrifice staying up late watching TV so you can get up at 5 a.m. and get started? Like, what are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to stop going out to lunch so that you can spend that hour at your desk returning emails and sending out pitches? I think that, you know, in our culture, right, we're, we're in a unique culture here in the United States and probably anybody listening to this is in a unique place where you really do have the freedom to go after the thing that you want. And most of us are constantly self-sabotaging to the point that we can't do it. But we decide it's somewhere along the line, we decide it's easier to tell ourselves the story that we can't, or it's too hard, or I don't have time, or it's because I have kids, or it's because of all these things, when really it's because we're unwilling to look our, fate, look our fear in the face, work through it, be honest about how we spend our time and start making incremental changes to actually go after the thing that we want. I've always heard it said that that you'll never change something about yourself until you're fed up and disgusted with the way things are. Meaning that uh, like, I'm okay with it. It bothers me, but it doesn't bother me enough to do something about it. There's a, a light bulb that's burnt out. I've seen it. I've seen it for weeks. It bothers me, but it doesn't yeah. bother me enough to actually change it. And to the point that I'm just like, okay, I can't take it anymore. Is it like that where like this speaking dream or this writing a book dream or whatever the dream may be, it is like welled up so, so much within me that like, I can't not do it. Yeah. I mean, I really, so a few years ago, I started going to see a therapist again. And one of the things I told him on our first, my first meeting with him is I said, I want to figure out how to make changes in my life before my life is burning down. Right. Like, why am, do I have to wait till something is so fucking painful before I finally make a change? Like, why can't I? Because when you look back, right, so something happens that's really painful and you finally make a change. You can look back and be like, man, I wish I had been paying attention three months ago, six months ago, a year ago. Life was trying to tell me to make this change. So how can I see it before it gets so painful? Mm -hmm. And for some of us, 
it won't get painful until you're 73 and you realize you literally can't do it anymore, you know? And so, I mean, that's our biggest, that's the biggest issue is that the pain for a lot of people will never actually get big enough. So that's why people don't run down their dream is the pain of not running it down never gets big enough like what you're describing. So what I believe is your job is to constantly be looking for truth. What is your truth? What is really going on under the surface? And this is the only thing I've been able to figure out that helps me make decisions before they're crazy painful. And so, and I, I talk about like very specific ways to do it in the book, but like this way of like how, what is really going on? That's why one of the things I say in the book is spend a week. So write down a list of every single thing you do in a given week, every single on Monday through Friday, every single thing from like going to the restroom, to looking at Instagram, to returning phone calls, to going to work, to making lunches for the kids, to eating dinner with literally everything. Make a list of everything. Now go through and cross out anything on that list that is not life or death or that you don't have to do or your life will burn down, right? So I have to go to the bathroom. I have to spend time with my kids. I don't have to watch TV. I don't have to read a book. I don't have to check Instagram. I don't have to do that stuff. Cross out all that stuff and then live like that for five days, just five days. Don't do anything that you don't absolutely have to do, right? To keep you healthy and alive and to not let your life burn down, right? So I have to take my kids to school. I have to make them lunch. I don't have to check my email 800 times a day, right? Right. Live like that for five days and then tell me you don't have time to run down your dream. What you'll see is the truth, which is you have a lot of shit in your life that you've allowed in that doesn't have to be there. Now, I'm not telling you that you have to live like this forever, right? I watch TV, I read a book, but I'm very honest with myself about when I'm doing something I don't have to do, but I'm giving time to it. So that's just a way of looking at my life and seeing the truth. I did this myself and I didn't realize how bad it was until it's seven o'clock at night and I'm literally sitting upstairs in my bedroom sitting on the bed, staring at the wall because I have nothing to do because my wife's watching TV and I, you know, I'm not watching TV. I can't check my phone and I'm sitting here. I'm like, well, I guess I can write because I got nothing else going on and I still have kids and I still have a job. Like I still have all this stuff. And so my belief is, yes, you can wait until life is so painful that you finally do something. Or you can start coming up with creative ways to find the truth and tell yourself the truth about how you're spending your time, what you really want out of life, and what you're willing to give up in order to get it. Is it possible that whenever it comes to that dream, that thing that we thought we always wanted, that in reality, we we didn't want it that bad? We like the idea of it. I like the results of it, but I don't want to do the work. And so it doesn't, I'm not willing to to run it down. You know, I want the gold medal at the finish line, but I don't want it to put in the work to get there. And so it's just not worth it. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's different people have different things. They, they have different views on things. So for instance, some people know they want to be a writer from like the time they're six years old. I want to be a writer and they're just a writer. Somebody like an Elizabeth Gilbert, right? She came out of the womb as a writer. 
I tend to know what it will feel like. I don't necessarily know what it will be, like what I'll be doing day to day, but I'm like, when I reach this point, I'll know what it'll feel like. And I remember the point that I woke up, it was like three weeks after I moved to Nashville. And like I had a lot of things had changed in my business, a lot of things had changed in my personal life. And I was like, I've made it. This is what I knew it would feel like. And then there are times where, and this is what I think is important about the whole swimming metaphor of like, it's okay to go after something. And once you start getting close, realize this isn't actually what I want. And, but what you find usually is it doesn't mean you go back and start over. You just course correct, right? It's just, okay, maybe this isn't what I want. Maybe this is what I want over here. This sounds good. I'm going to keep doing this. And I think the biggest thing is to keep moving and to never, never settle. You know, when you're settling, you know, when I'm just, and, and there's times like when you should just coast because you're exhausted. But at the same time, you know when you're settling. And there's a difference between enjoying something that you have and settling because you don't think it's worth it or you don't think you're worth it or you think it might be too hard or you may not actually be able to pull it off. And that's a different thing. And so I I really don't think it's so much what it is you're doing. I don't think it's whether you're a speaker or writer or any of those sorts of things. I think it's, are you doing the thing? Are you going after that thing that you know you're supposed to be going after? And if you are, it what you find is it doesn't really matter if you make it. It doesn't really matter how fast you go. What matters is, are you moving? Because the wor- the, the soul crushing thing is to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I know we could talk about this for a while and I want to be respectful of your time. So we've teased enough of the book out. So if people want to find out more about the book and also find out more about you and what you're up to, where, where can we go? Yeah, they can see more about the book at runningdownadream.com. And of course, it's for sale on Amazon and all the other places. Uh, if you want to learn more about the book marketing, go to booklaunch.com. That's where I put all the stuff about book marketing. Cool. Thanks for the time, man. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Grant. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tim Grawl. Really good stuff there. Great way to kick off 2019 as I hope you run down your own dream. Make sure you check out Tim's new book, Running Down a Dream. You can do that through uh, Amazon or wherever you buy books. Also, make sure you check out that YouTube channel that I mentioned to you earlier where we've got a lot of content already there that you can find and uh, get some additional help and support as you build and grow your speaking business and become a better speaker. So you can find that by going over to youtube.com slash the speaker lab again that's youtube.com slash the speaker lab all right boys and girls that wraps up episode 218 we'll catch you next time you're awesome